Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to episode 180 of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Tonight is our annual coverage of Maker Fair, the world's largest science fair, which is actually right here, right in my backyard here in my hometown of Queens, New York. On the program tonight, you're going to hear from some key figures at NASA regarding some interesting ways that you, yourself, can take part in our next step towards the stars. We're going to hear from makers around the world with some fascinating projects, including a machine that recycles waste from your house to be used in 3D printing. That's for real. Most exciting for me was to getting to talk to this next generation of makers. There's so many young people out there winning prizes and coming up with some pretty keen innovations themselves. I think that's the thing for me personally. The fair itself has the big guys like Microsoft or Google right there next to the average Joe with their wacky invention and new ideas. And everyone's just there on this level playing field. Young, old, varying levels of experience. Everyone's just sharing ideas, teaching, and learning from each other. I can't express how amazing this event is. And how you should, if there's one in your area, check it out. Now, to kick things off here as sort of an introduction to what Maker Fair is, let's hear from founder and executive chairman Dale Doherty in his own words. You know, what interests me really about making is that it's something that seems to transform who we are and who we think we are and what we can do. And when you see yourself that way, you tackle problems that you wouldn't have. And it, it's almost running completely in a different direction than consumer culture, which often makes us just feel bored. Um, we buy things and they don't satisfy us. They don't really make us happy. And it's sort of making is ultimately about engagement, engaging yourself, engaging with others, and engaging in the community as a whole. And uh, as a toy collector, it hurt, hurt a little bit to hear you say it, but I love your quote, buy them tools, not toys. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and make, have them make toys, Absolutely. you know. And the tools and, to make the toys. Yeah, exactly. Make your own board games. Make, you know, make your own playground. Now, that said, I'm still itching to get that Transformers Combiner Wars Devastator figure, as well as a three and three-quarter scale BB-8, so if Santa is listening, I've got plenty of tools. So that's how we kicked off the fair. Some very exciting people took the time to talk with me. I'm going to play some of those interviews now, popping in here and there. So, enjoy the ride. Hi, I'm James Danaway, Director of Marketing at Epilogue Laser. Uh, we're here at the Maker Fair showing off our CO2 and fiber laser source technology. I've got my Fusion M2 here, which is our newest system. It has a 32 by 20 inch engraving area. It'll work on wood, metal, glass, acrylic, leather, fabric, paper, basically anything you want to put in the system. We even have a camera system on it, so it'll look for registration points on a pre-printed piece, and you can have exact cuts around there. It's really amazing technology. There's so much you can do with it. So is this now just following the line with the camera of these sheets? Oh, just so you guys know at home, I'm going to throw some pictures up on, uh, on the Facebook page. There are these cutouts of various characters that it's cutting out and cardboard. It's really cute. There's a ghost, of course, so we'll throw that up. 
Yeah, so uh, what it is is these are pre-printed pieces where we've designed these to be uh, to find the registration points and after the fact. So it'll cut exactly where we want it to each time. So this is not a pre-programmed path. This is actually following the line. It's smart. The machines have risen. We're all doomed. This is awesome, man. Yeah, it's really fun technology. And, you know, we, we go to over 100 trade shows a year because there's so many different industries that are using the laser. But this is always one of our favorite shows, definitely. Just talking to all the different uh, makers that are out here and finding all the new ways they're using the technology. Are some of the, what are some of the uses of this in industry? You know, we hit uh, so many different industries at the laser. It's everything from barcoding to logos on parts. Uh, every gunstock manufacturer has one now. They're doing checkering patterns with it. We've got guitar manufacturers using it for inlay work. Uh, engraving around drumsticks. I mean, it's just nonstop. Every time I talk to customers, it's something new that they're doing. Awesome. So how can the people at home find out more about you and your project? Definitely go up to our website, epiloglaser.com. Uh, there's all kinds of projects up there we've created with the laser, free downloadable files. There's videos of us engraving all kinds of fun stuff. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Definitely. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Here we go. I'm here with Denon. Hey, guys. Uh, Denon Osterman here. That's D-E-N-N-O-N. Uh, founder of ReadyTech, the makers of ProtoCycler. ProtoCycler. So... You can take any type of plastic, plastic bottles, uh, anything that's recyclable, and use it to print with? Yeah, so we have uh, a recycling system for 3D printers. It lets you take 3D printer waste, like rafting and support, uh, failed or obsolete prints, and even waste like water bottles, coffee cup lids, really any recyclable plastic. Uh, and as long as you keep them separate, you can grind them up, melt them down, uh, and reuse them as 3D printer filament. We'll throw some pictures up on the website as well, but yeah, it looks like some weird sort of Star Trek Klingon torture device here, spinning slowly. What? How exactly does this work? So first you take some waste plastic. Uh, give me a sec. Like this robot, you toss him in there. He gets tortured by the Klingon torture device or ground up into little pieces. Those little pieces end up like these chunks, uh, and those get fed through the extruder unit, which melts them down, measures their diameter, strings them out, and wraps it all back up on a spool for you to use with any 3D printer on the market today. God, this poor robot. This is kind of hard to watch. It is a little bit. We uh, we don't like grinding the robots or the other, the cute little ox pie. That's, that's kind of mean. Um, but random parts like this and that, you know, they're, they're a lot better to grind. Do you have any more robots in the back? I want a robot. No! Poor robots. The rise of the machines has fallen. Oh! And his head popped out as a final bout of indignity. <laughs> Always an exciting time when you're recycling plastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. How can uh, people at home find out more about your product? I just go to readytech.com, R-E-D-E-T-E-C.com, and all the info and contacts and stuff is all there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Take care. Enjoy the fair. All right. I'm here with Sam Blanchard. Tell us what you got here. Well, this is Seymour, so it's a parallel computer, which is the type of computer that companies like Google use to search the Internet for you in .0002 seconds. Um, in order to search things really quickly and search things that are as big as something like the Internet, uh, they parse up the Internet into much smaller data sets. And what a parallel computer does is it uses thousands, in, in Google's case, 256 in our case, uh, computers to complete smaller tasks quicker. And so each one of these uh, individual computers is processing, when it is uh, moving outward, uh, it's, uh, it's 
it's computing part of a bigger problem, and then when it moves back in, it's finishing that problem. And so it's sending all the information back to what is like a head node. So it's uh, sort of the controller of all of the smaller computers. Then it's uh, compiling that information and popping it up back onto our screen. In this case, we have our parallel computer is actually, uh, we pulled some uh, geotagged uh, landmarks off of the New York Open Data website, which is great because you have all these different um, landmarks, like where every payphone is and where every uh, uh, bench is and where, whatever, where every tree is. And so what we're doing is correlating every uh, the geographical location of every subway stop with and searching for all uh, all sorts of um, uh, geotag things within like one square block of that. So our internet is is a little bit smaller in this case. Our data set is a little smaller than the the internet, but uh, it's still doing the same type of search uh, and it's very representative. I mean, the project can't, sort of came about because we want to explore what is usually black box technology. So usually we pick up our phones and these days almost everything we do on our phones is cloud-based and um, we're trying to show here physically through movement and sculpture and art uh, what is happening every time you type something into a Google search and what is normally happening in a big black box outside of Phoenix <laughs> by several thousand computers at once. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. And how can people find out more about your project? Uh, you can follow us which is Seymour underscore VT on Twitter, S-E-E-M-O-R-E underscore VT on Twitter. Hey, this is Patrick from Netflix. So at Maker Fair, we are showing off a little DIY project called the Netflix Switch. Um, you can make your own at makeit.netflix.com. Um, what ours does here is when you click the button, it opens, up, turns the TV on, opens up Netflix, dims the lights, <laughs> puts my phone in do not disturb mode, and orders a pizza, but I disable that functionality. Otherwise, I'd have a lot of pizza here today. That would be all. I like how it immediately went to Daredevil too. It's one of my favorite things on Netflix right now. Also, you have the same couch as I do from IKEA, so pretty cool. You know, it's uh, very comfortable <laughs> and uh, light. Let's talk about the couch here. This is awesome. This is the, probably my favorite thing that I've seen so far because oh, it's how I spend you. most of my sedentary life. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and we have all the instructions, sample code, everything at makeit.netflix.com. And are you affiliated with Netflix at all? Yes. I'm in Netflix, and we have a couple engineers here as well. It's fantastic, dude. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Now, if only there was a way to sort of monkey around with that button so that instead of pizza, it orders this particular type of Chinese-Mexican food that we have here in New York, fresca tortilla, fresco tortilla. Each restaurant has a different type of name, but man, is it good. But immediate burritos aside, the fair was absolutely amazing. James from Epilogue Laser, who you heard about, handed me a business card, which I watched be, oh, I was going to say printed, but burned in front of me, which is that Aztec calendar that predicted the end of the world, of course, in 2012. Go back to listen to those episodes for a good laugh which I'm holding in my hand right now. The intricacy of this, the detail on this, it's just amazing. So definitely another aspect of Maker Faire was the swag that you got. Oftentimes, really cool stuff that you got to make yourself. But there were lock-picking classes, just so much. There's just so much to do. But right now, I want to turn to our old friend Sam Ortega. We talk to him every year over at Maker Faire 
Uh, couldn't have a nicer guy in such an awesome position. But he actually got kind of a promotion, which he'll explain to you in this next clip. So, take it away, Sam. Hi, so my name is Sam Ortega, and I am the Partnerships Office Manager for Marshall Space Flight Center for NASA, helping to get people connected to what Marshall and what NASA has as resources to offer to makers, innovators, to hackers. So whether it's our specific resources like our trisonic wind tunnels, our vacuum chambers, we also have our technical intellect, so our subject matter experts that can help people to together develop innovation of technology together and advance those technologies to a higher level. It's different from last year. I'm mean, sure if you guys are listening to the uh, to the show for a long time, you heard Sam talk about something completely different last year. You've got a new position now, huh? So I do, exactly. So, uh, so before I was doing the prize competitions for Centennial Challenges, but now I'm doing partnerships. So like I was just saying, it's really awesome that we have the ability to open up our space exploration technology to everybody else. And, you know, you have to remember, this is the nation's space program. I'm just privileged enough to be able to get to work there. And so what I want to make sure is that, the, you know, people throughout the country realize that they can take advantage of what we have at NASA. Our intellectual property, our tech, we have a technology uh, transfer office. We have a, pat, a patent portal. We have a software portal. So all this technology that we've developed is available for the general public to use or for them to be able to license to use also to develop new technology with it. I was recently talking to a gentleman, um, Robert Bigelow, who runs Bigelow Aerospace, for example. He actually licensed the inflatable habitat technology and is going off and running with it to create that, that concept and grow it to a higher level for inflatable habitats that could be used on the, in, in space or on a planetary surface, potentially. In fact, NASA has actually contracted with him to build a habitat called BEAM that we're going to be attaching to the space station here in early 2016. And we'll be able to inflate it and be able to test it out to see how well it functions, how well it works. Our astronauts will be able to go into that habitable area and just see what it's like to use an inflatable habitat. All right, just because I'm dumb here, uh, just to sort of clarify. So you're talking about an inflatable attachment to the space station that people are physically going to go inside and live. You are exactly right. Wow. It's totally cool. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so cool. Everything about this is cool. Uh, how can people f uh, directly find out about the program? Sure. So you can go to our, our website is partnerships at MSFC, Marshall Space Flight Center, .nasa.gov. Or even if you just do an Internet search for technology transfer, for um, the tech, well, tech transfer office will get you to the right place. There, or you can do the patent portal or the software portal, NASA. So any of those software, any of those Internet searches will pull up what you need to be able to find out how can you get that technology and take advantage of it. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it, man. And it's always awesome talking to Sam. Now, in his old position as the program manager for Centennial Challenges, Monsi Roman was there, and I got to talk to her a little bit about some exciting things on the horizon. Check it out. Okay, well, I am, my name is Monsi Roman. I am the program manager for Centennial Challenges. That is a NASA uh, program that basically asks the people uh, all over the United States to come and help us solve the issues that we have uh, to go to Mars. So on, on the, the kind of challenges that we run are big challenges. Centennial challenges are the million-dollar challenges. And so the one that we just finished is a, a, a design about what a house will look like on Mars. So we asked the public to come and tell us what they think a house that will be 3D printed would look like on Mars. And we challenged them to think about how they could use waste 
therefore the things you hear the trash and and regolith which means dirt from Mars yeah. so if we put all that together can we print 3d print houses yeah. on Mars and that have applications to Earth because we can maybe 3d print houses for people that need houses in the future made out of trash things that people throw away and dirt uh, that is in everywhere right everybody has dirt save a lot on bringing building materials to Mars when you're actually using Mars to build the houses. That's pretty amazing. And that brings up another thing that NASA is trying to do. When we go to Mars, we're trying to do that in a sustainable way, that, which means we don't want to depend on anything that we bring from Earth. Yeah. So it gives you the extra challenge of we're a small ecosystem within, you know, in the hab, inside a, basically inside a can. So we have to think of everything from top to bottom. So uh, we are the ultimate recyclers, and we learn a lot that we can apply to Earth, so we can take better care of our Earth. So from what, how big the packaging needs to be or what the packaging needs to be made of, so after you finish using it, you can recycle and maybe make things out of them. And then reuse the same material over and over again once you're there and you no longer need the structures that you It would be awesome if we had zero trash, right? So everything we use can be reused. Quick question, and I don't have to put this in if you don't want to answer it. Uh, are there any plans to use this sort of technology for some sort of lunar colony, something a little bit closer to home? For lunar, for example, as everything that we're working is applicable to, to lunar bases too, for the most part. But right now we are trying to get closer to Mars. So um, our partners in Europe are thinking of a lot of, of the challenges of living on Mars right now. So. Hopefully they will that will they will go along with them if that comes you know to something a program that actually works uh, for us. But right now March is our destination. Can't wait to get there. We we would like to get there so badly. If you need radio hosts. Uh, to broadcast, I'd like to put my name. I'm sure, and, and I just want to make sure everybody knows we have a lot of, of other challenges. We have challenges with CubeSats, so uh, we're, we're currently running one that is really cool. We are about to run one on growing tissue in station, so we are going to be making organs, hopefully in the future, and this is the beginning of those thoughts. Um, and also we're going to be uh, working on programming the, robo the robotic humanoids that might be working on Mars too. So those two challenges are coming out in the next few uh, weeks, so you might want to watch for it. So Robonaut's going to get a little brother, I guess? Or sister. Or sister, that's <laughs> got even better, depending on what that superstructure looks like. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. I also want to mention that we're also looking at the possibility, and this is just a possibility, so we're going to be looking for help from the uh, makers to possibly put a maker's lab in space station. But so that would be that is a very small idea right now. So that we're going to look into the possibility. But once we get that possibility out there, we're going to need help from the makers telling us what will they like to do. So when you're done growing organs in space and building houses on Mars, you might put a maker section on this. I kind of hope before we we can we actually actually could do the makers lab before on space station. Uh, organs on Mars, uh, organs on space station, and, and houses on Mars are going to take a little while longer. This is the reason we come to the fair. Thank you so much. And uh, again, what are the direct websites for the challenges? Uh, NASA has many challenges. So the one I'm going to give you, www.nasa.gov slash solve, S-O-L-V-E. They have all the challenges you need there.
episode. And to long-time listeners, that's also in the show notes from last year, too. Check it out. NASA.gov. Solve. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Man, everyone at NASA is just so nice. It's just—it's such a treat talking to them. Uh, Monsi and, and Sam were just wonderful. You really get this kind of we're in this all together feel. They're just as excited as we are. So thanks again. Now next we're going to hear from uh, the makers, the next generation, I guess. Some of the younger folks who are exhibiting at the fair. Check it out. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Theo McMillan. Basically what, it, what we have here is a 3D printed cast. Basically we, uh, we take an Xbox Connect. And uh, using some 3D modeling software, we can get a scan of your arm. And then with that scan, you can mold a cast, a, uh, an arm cast around it, and 3D print it out. So in the end, you get a, uh, a 3D printed cast that's you know, tailor-made to fit you and only you. This makes way too much sense to not exist already. I, I, this is fantastic, man. And how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 16. Yeah, he's 16. I was I was busy playing Dungeons and Dragons and making up uh, all different kinds of player characters rather than nothing casts for people. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with that, you know. Hi, my name's David DePeace, and um, I'm here at the Maker Fair 2015 presenting the Seven Second Rocket Challenge that I did for my 11th grade engineering class. Um, I used an Arduino-powered um, rocket that um, would launch into the air for seven seconds before releasing a parachute and then making its way safely back to Earth. And um, if you search 7 Second Rocket Challenge on YouTube, you'll be able to see a video of the final launch and um, it all working and stuff. And uh, I'm having a great time here, and it's, it's been a fantastic day, and I've been able to see all new ideas for all different things, and I've really enjoyed it. What are you working on now? Um, right now I'm actually using Arduino with the, my, the same engineering teacher to do a RFID scanning uh, attendance system. So each student will get a card that... Um, has imprinted their name and um, and then they can come in and scan in and we'll log the time and their attendance. <laughs> so it'll be fun. So uh, just seven second rocking challenge. They'll come find it on YouTube. We'll throw the links up on the show page. Thanks a lot, man. Yep. Thank you. And while we were at the fair, I rented my old pals at Gorilla Science. Gorilla is in the warfare tactic, not the ape that throws poop. Long-time listeners might remember I did some live events with them. Uh, the Ooblek Olympics most recently out in Governor's Island, or people got to run on a non-Newtonian fluid. They're awesome. Here's Olivia. She's awesome. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Olivia from Gorilla Science. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Awesome. So what do we got going on here? There's definitely music that you can hear in the background and a lot of fire. Yes, so that is the fire organ. It's a instrument that we built, and it consists of five Rubens tubes that uh, display music with fire. That's awesome. So is it responding to the notes or just different tonality? It responds to notes. So right now we have it hooked up to an electric piano, and that audio signal is fed into speakers that are at the end of each Rubens tube. So each Rubens tube is a hollow metal tube that has a speaker on one end. We fill it with propane gas and then light it up. And at the top, you see these beautiful flames form. And the flames change as the music changes. So as the speaker vibrates with sound, you can see the flames changing. And there is actually a relationship between the waves that you see and the frequency of the sound that you're hearing. Clearly, the, uh, the fire really likes the peanuts because it's jumping like crazy right now. So, you guys have heard me talk about Gorilla Science before, but while I got you here, 
what is Gorilla Science? What else do you guys do? So we do a lot of crazy things. We like to mix art, science with music and play. So we collaborate with scientists, artists, engineers, musicians, and bring them all together to events like this. How can the listeners find out more about it? Web presence and whatnot? So you can visit gorillascience.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Such a great organization. So much fun. Making science accessible. Check them out. Next, we slide over to Norm Suteria, who's going to talk to us about some robots. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Norm, N-O-R-M. I don't know why I'm spelling it out on radio. <laughs> uh, Suteria, S-U-T-A-R-I-A. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm the director of programs for New York City First Robotics. And uh, what we have here today at the uh, Zone 4 robot robotics tent um, at the Maker Fair, at the World Maker Fair, is we have... Um, three of our four uh, different programs that are available um, to uh, anyone in New York City. And it's also, uh, we are the local chapter of US First, which is worldwide. Um, there are four different programs. We reach, um, in New York City, we reach 3,200 students um, ages 6 to 17 uh, through four different programs. Um, the four different programs are the Junior First Lego League, the, uh, that's for um, for uh, five to nine-year-olds. Uh, we have the first Lego League, which is like 10 to 13. And then we have two high school and, and middle school programs. Um, there's a first tech challenge, um, seventh to 12th grades, which is um, 13 to, um, sorry, 13 to 17. And then uh, the high school, the uh, FRC, which is uh, also 13 to 17 years old. Junior First Lego League is where participants um, make simple machines using the Lego We Do kits. Uh, it's very simple. They do a little poster board presentation. It's more showing off, and a, they call it a show me poster that they do. And then at the first Lego League level, um, this is where you have a four foot by eight foot plywood board uh, along with a game mat on top of it, and students uh, build and program a, an autonomous robot to accomplish missions on the field. Now, every year there's a new mission or a new theme. This year's theme is called Trash Trek. Um, it's all about recycling and sustainability for, uh, for students. So the missions on the field have to do with recycling or sustainability, and they program a robot to go and push things, pull things, retrieve things, drop things. Um, that earns their team points. Hand-in-hand hand with the on-table competition is uh, a research project. So these students go out, they find a problem in their community, wherever that might be and however they might define it. Then they go and interview experts uh, about the problem. They uh, propose a solution, and then they present that solution to, uh, to their community. Um, and then during the Lego League judging at competitions, they are actually judged on their project uh, presentation. Would, there, would the students' teachers find out about the project first or the competition first and then enlist the students to try out, or do they just come directly to you? Uh, they come. So it's, we provide the infrastructure and support. Um, typically, the students would uh, find out, or, or participants, would find out about it through um, their parents, through the community-based organizations, YMCA, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, um, you know, any of the, any nonprofit CBOs, community-based organizations, um, or they could find out about it through their teacher. Um, we have, in New York City specifically, there are a lot of after-school programs. Uh, it's run, by and large, through after-school programs. 
I just had Pinewood Derby when I was a kid in Scouts. This is yeah. a lot better, yeah. actually making robots. This is fantastic. So how can they find out about it now, the listeners at home? Uh, you could visit the website, usfirst.org. Uh, which is the uh, national first, first stands for the inspiration and recognition of science and technology. And uh, it's all about developing the next uh, generation of science and technology leaders. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. I'd definitely say the name of the game here this year was sustainability. Even just from the tiny microcosm that you guys are getting, you're probably getting a sense for that anyway. And to round things out, we slide over to Atmel to talk to senior manager Bob Martin. All right, so I'm Bob Martin. I am the Senior Applications Manager for Atmel, based in San Jose, California. My day job is to manage a team of really skilled applications engineers to help our customers use our parts effectively. And that also includes interfacing with Arduino and companies that build Arduino clones and helping them maximize their designs and moving forward with syncing up their roadmaps with our roadmaps for the new chips. My other job is main liaison for the Make community for Atmel. So unabashedly, I'm the reason Atmel now attends Maker Faire because I joined Atmel and I said, you know, Atmel, Atmel microcontrollers are, a, are the core processor in almost every Arduino board, and yet Atmel doesn't have a corporate presence here. But if you notice, our booth is not really a corporate PowerPoint suit-wearing presence. What we do is we invite people that have used Arduino in projects to come share our space in our booth and tell their story, because it's their story that's important. Right. That's a fantastic kind of mission statement there. I love it. There is, there is no ego here. We, we're sitting here talking across a wooden table. Right. Um, and so my job at Maker Faire is to, part, part of the problem we're having, or not problem so much as a challenge that we have with Atmel, is we have a lot of startups that are using our Arduino and moving on, trying to get scaling into production and not understanding. So it's one thing to, you know, on a Kickstarter, all of a sudden, they've, let's say they popped by their pledge and they're now, they wanted $50,000 and they are now sitting at a million which has happened. And also, instead of producing 100 boards, they have to, present, they have to produce 3,000. We help with that a little bit, but what we help is, is taking that board that was developed with an Arduino Uno or whatever and helping them move into a more production-worthy board um, by telling them, okay, these are, the, these are the kind of the design rules. This is what Arduino followed in designing their board. There's some stuff on the Arduino boards that are added to make it easier to debug, but are just adding cost if you want to go to production. So we help with that. We help with social media as well. I mean, we, as a semiconductor company, it's odd. We have, I think, the largest social network footprint ever of any company, of any semiconductor company. Uh, due to our, our new, uh, uh, he's, well, he's not new now, but our uh, vice president of marketing is uh, Sander Arts. And he's done an incredible job in introducing social media into this whole maker aspect, which is always a, a strong part of it. So I go around to the maker fairs, and I'm kind of like the, the chief technical evangelist for Atmel. Um, so I, yeah, and on, on helping people, making connections, both technical and marketing-wise. I'm not a marketing person. 
but um, you know the technical connections on maybe you want to re-architect your board like this to save some cost or make it more future-proof. Um, and I'll go to makeathons and sit down and, and help people design their ideas with Arduino or not. Yeah, yeah. So it, that's that's one of the things I really enjoy doing. I also involved with the, the university program, so I'll help professors coordinate new course material for engineering colleges, and help coordinate makeathons. That we're we're coordinating a makeathon at Stanford University at the end of October, um, with a specific with a you know specific theme like Earth Hack. So I'm I'm proud of that work as well. So that's generally why I'm here. I, I sit and talk to people. Atmos, um, we have a very active, like I said, uh, social channel. So you can find Atmel on the Twitter channels all over the place. And we have quite a few people in the marketing department that are monitoring the Twitter channels. And that's how we find out. Um, we have one of our social media directors right now found some of the people in our booth right now we discovered through Twitter channels. And we're going to throw all those links up in the show notes too. Uh, there'll be a whole list of them. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And there you have it. You know, again, I can't express to you how much fun it was walking around, talking to everybody. Thank you so much to everyone who helped organize this, run it, who participated, and, of course, the people who took the time to talk to me, and consequently, you guys. So check out MakerFair.com, and there's a long list of links to everyone we heard from in tonight's episode. So please make it a point to visit those places, Check out these folks. If you know anybody who might be interested in some of this stuff, forward it on to them. Of course, it'd be nice if they listen to the show, too. Now, before we sign off here, no final thought tonight. I think I've yammered on enough. Quick plug for my other project, Spirits and Spirits, with the lovely Jack Dickens. New episode dropping this week. Bit of a departure for that show, too. We're at a brewery this time around, with a special guest beer correspondent on our trip up to Beacon, New York, to Two-Way Brewery. That's a fun word to say. And we visit a haunted cafe, also in Beacon, just a few doors down, called the Pandorica. For those of you fellow nerds out there, yes, that is a Doctor Who reference. And yes, the place is decorated thusly. Had a wonderful chat with its founder and proprietor. And let me tell you, once the mic was turned off, we ended up talking about Doctor Who for about two hours over my bangers and mash. So definitely a cool place to visit. And an awesome episode, so check that out when it drops. Huge thanks to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. Thank you to the Paranormal A Radio Network and Terry Koenig, host of way too many shows, two of which have made a comeback with yours truly, UFO History Lesson and Spectral Retrospective. So check those out, too, at your leisure. Once again, thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Tadaro, reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward.